live from the Haymarket Pub and Brewery in downtown Chicago, Illinois, this is Bug House! And I don't think this is anything new to anybody, but we live in highly polarized times. As an example, just as an example, just this week, if you were on Twitter, 50% of Twitter believed him. 50% of Twitter believed her. And they both hate each other's guts. That's where we're at right now. We're in a place where, and we forget, we tend to forget that social media, the first word operatively is social. We are Facebook. We are Twitter. And we are our democracy. We're where we're at because of us. Don't fucking blame anybody but yourself for where we're at. That's why we're here. We cannot argue, we cannot have a disagreement in any kind of way that doesn't immediately erupt into acrimony and threats. A couple weeks ago, I made the comment that Star Wars was really just made for 12-year-old boys, and it, it elevated to fuck you in the eye with a knife about Star Wars. There are people getting into, into fist fights and screaming wars about whether or not Dumbledore was appropriately gay enough in a fictional book. This is where we're at right now. We don't know how to argue, but this isn't the only time in our history where we've been here. We've been here many times. That's the beauty and perhaps the ugliness of democracy. Sometimes we hit points where moral crisis is so big that both sides don't know how to argue effectively, persuasively, and without threatening each other's lives on the internet. 1911, we were in, this, in such a time, and in Washington Square Park here in Chicago, Bughouse Square was inaugurated. It was radicals and free thinkers and revolutionaries standing on soapboxes arguing the issues of the day. In the 50s, Studs Terkel realized that it was just as polarized, so he started it again, kind of revamped it, and it's still to this day. If you go to Washington Square Park, they still have debates at Bughouse Square. Well, David and I started Literate Ape, and we are nothing if we're not just rip-off artists, so what we decided was to have our own show and call it Bughouse, because this is what it's all about. It is about the art of the dialectic. Let me explain the art of the dialectic. We have six debaters tonight. None of them got to choose their topic. They debated the topic I assigned them. None of them got to choose the side of the topic they were on. They were assigned a topic. So they may or may not believe in what they are saying to you tonight, but that was their assignment do a seven-minute persuasive argument 
in favor of a topic that you may or may not believe. Because if, and I, this is from high school debate, if you don't know how to argue the other side of the argument, you don't understand your own. That's the art of the dialectic. That's bug house, at least with an exclamation point on this stage. Now, it is a competition. Lots of live lit shows are competitions. And a lot of live lit shows will have the audience vote for the winners of each bout. And that would be democracy. But we don't live in a democracy. And some shows will have groups, like small teams of voters from the audience. And that's representative democracy. But we do not live in a representative democracy. We, as Americans, in this time in history, right now live in an oligarchy. 1% makes the decisions for everybody else, and we have to suck it up or get pissed about it and then still suck it up. That's kind of how it works. Tonight, our 1%, our one judge that will determine the winner of each round, Ms. Terry Savage. Terry will determine for all of us who wins the round. She does not have to explain herself because neither does the oligarch. <laughs> she does not have to qualify in any way. If she wants to, she can. Why? Because she's the one fucking percent and she gets to do whatever she wants. We have had judges get up on stage and explain themselves. It's fine. They're the one percent. They get what they want because we're America. So that's how that's gonna work. Now, again, we have three topics. We have six debaters, three rounds. It's a very simple format. This is not a tit for tat. This is not a rebuttal back and forth debate. Each debater has seven minutes to convince you that their side of the issue is the right side. That's it. Let's have our first debate. Are you ready for our first debate? Yeah. We're gonna start with the meaty one, the hard one, because there's always a really hard one. Equity, equality. It's a big issue for the last 50 years. It's a big issue today. Now there are two sides of the equity argument when it comes to social politics. One is equity of outcome. Equity of outcome, let's use affirmative action as an example. Equity of outcome says there's only true equity in a country so maligned with racism and sexism. There's only true equity if we have a quota, a number. Equal women, equal men. Equal black, equal white. E you know, that, that, that's equity of outcome. Equity of outcome is about making sure that regardless of qualification, we have an equity in the diversity of our country. The other side of that, and that, that, by the way, I'll just say is sort of a socialist argument. The more capitalist, the more conservative argument is equity of opportunity. And it sounds good. The idea is that if everybody has the same opportunity, then it truly becomes a meritocracy. That everybody has equal access to success and wealth in this country. So the argument tonight is equity, outcome, or opportunity. And to debate this topic are two very funny and brilliant young men
who are very angry that I gave them this topic. <laughs> A.J. Miller, Rick Walker, give him a hand. So, equality of opportunity. If it was a music, I'm arguing uh, opportunity. Uh, if it was a song, it would be produced by DJ Khaled, and it would be the best music. All right, so according to Milton Friedman, there are three ways people can uh, be considered equal. So that's equality before God, uh, equality of outcome, and equality of opportunity. Now, as, um, as Don was starting to explain a bit, um, equality, each of these are, are a bit different. So um, equality of God refers to what the founding fathers, and specifically Thomas Jefferson, or as I like to call him, TJ, or as the ladies like to call him, Massa. Um, <laughs> Equality before God uh, refers to the pursuit of liberty. It's uh, liberty, the pursuit of happiness and life. So uh, there is also the, uh, the equality of outcome, which refers to full-blown commie, pinko, uh, red scare type socialism. Thanks, Obama. I'm just kidding. I love Obama. Come back, Barack. All right. Um, uh, and then there's uh, equality of opportunity, which refers to actual liberty. America, fuck yeah. All right, so now these, these are definitions that aren't very complete, so I'd like to uh, maybe help you understand it a little bit more completely. So um, imagine that there's a poker game, and there's a $50 buy-in. The theory of opportunity states that the person with the best hand wins the pot. You get enough good hands, you play them well, you know, there are a few opportune bluffs, you've got a good poker face, you'll walk away and the, as the big winner. Theory of outcome is like casino night at Catholic Charities. The money is fake, everybody wins, and you're probably drunk. <laughs> or or here's, a, here's another idea. So let's say, um, let's say we've got an old-timey glove factory, and um, what, what's, your, what's your name, ma'am? Jill. Jill? Okay, so let's say Jill here works at that old-timey glove factory, and um, if we're gonna think about it in terms of opportunity, we would make these gloves, or Jill would make these gloves piecemeal. So if Jill makes 75 perfectly formed gloves, and everyone else at the table only makes 50, you know, Jill will make more money, right? That kind of a meritocracy. But under the outcome system, Everyone gets the same pay, no matter how many gloves Jill makes, and even if all the gloves everybody else makes only has one finger. So, I, this is a complicated issue, and I just really want to make sure that Don understands it. Because this is Don's show, and I know he's trying to talk with fancy words earlier, but I really want to make sure he understands. Okay, so Don, say you are... Um, that you're making a porno. Yeah! Okay? Now this is for Don. I, Jill, I don't want to talk this way. It's, it's for Don. Now, you're making, you're making a porno, right? Now, you've got three men on the set and you've got three women on the set, right? So equality of outcomes means that each of the ladies gets a dick. Now, this is for Don. Don's making me talk this way. I don't want to do it. I'm a, I'm a classy guy. But um, 
if we were to look at the, um, the theory of equal opportunity, not everyone is forced to get the same thing. They get what they are really after. So let's say two of the actors are uh, actually husband and wife, and they're just making a little extra money, and they're just really freaky, you know, so they get to be with each other. And then let's say two of the men are gay, and uh, they aren't into vaginas, literally or, you know, physically. Um, uh, and let's say, and the other two ladies are um, in college, and they're experimenting. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure Don understands. <laughs> Now, this, this is a hypothetical, and it's just for Don. But in the end, you, Don, you're going to make a really good movie because people are, are really going to put their passion on the screen. And you can't fake that kind of passion. Now, according to the Stanford University definition, equality of opportunity is determined by some form of competition in which all members of the society compete on equal terms. So back to Don's porno example. Uh, let's say the actors are getting paid by the orgasm. Over the course of the shooting day, I'm gonna guess the two women are gonna make the most money because the male multiple orgasm is uh, really on the scale of month, not, not on the scale of the day. Especially after 40, Don knows. All right. Now often people think of uh, equality of opportunity as it relates to housing or employment. Now those are parts of it, but they're not the whole thing. Equality of opportunity is actually the central framework on which the competitive free market is built. When the government is truly invested in the equality of opportunity, it will do its best to eliminate the barriers preventing the maximum number of people from being able to compete fairly. Now, as I'm sure AJ will argue in just a moment, oh, healthcare, oh, affirmative action, wowzy, wowzy, woo, woo. Now, I don't know if his, his voice is actually gonna sound like that when he's competing, but I urge you all to imagine his voice sounding like, because he's talking. Now, it does have to do with uh, healthcare and affirmative action. These are things associated with outcomes, but they can also be associated with the equality of opportunity. Let me explain. See, the problem is that the equality of opportunity has been perverted, not the way you think, Don. It has been uh, twisted, the concept has been twisted to expand beyond people to include industries and corporations. And that's the current state of the state today. Um, if you apply individual rights to corporations, you end up with decisions like Citizens United and you reject net neutrality, um, let alone for-profit healthcare and education. So if we make humans the center of equality of opportunity instead of business interests, then when one of your porn actors gets a venereal disease, they can get the basic healthcare necessary so that it won't be a barrier to employment. Now, if everyone has unfettered access to excellent education, then we have an authentic meritocracy. And until that day, it's the government's responsibility to regulate on behalf of the citizenry, whether it's limiting pollution or watching the banking industry, you've got to keep a good thing good. And like your porn actors, Don, the government might step in and say, hey, no 17-inch dicks. They're causing more harm than good. So. If you focus on the equality of outcomes, everyone is forced to the middle of the bell curve and there is no liberty. 
but by using a little bit of the outcome of uh, the, the equality of outcomes in the greater structure of the nation that actually leads to a greater equality of opportunity. Going back to the poker analogy I made at the beginning, when we, we have to make sure that everyone has that $50 buy-in so that they have a seat at the table. And that way they have a chance to win it all so that the citizens can end up with greater liberty, making equality of opportunity the best system. All right. All right. Rick Walker. Yes. While I don't direct porn, I like porn. So it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. All right. So, Terry, you got that? Um, taking notes. All right, take it. I see. I love a judge that takes notes, right? That's an oligarch that actually went to school and took notes. This is good. This is good. All right. So let's bring our counterpoint, equity of outcome, ladies and gentlemen, A.J. Miller. Thank you very much. I'm going to make you equality of outcome. <laughs> First off, a hearty fuck you to Don and David for giving us this topic to debate. Thanks for the softball, fellas. There's truly nothing I like more than attempting to, play, to piece together a solidified defense for an argument that has vexed some of the greatest minds in history, living or dead. Earlier today, I called Noam Chomsky to get his opinion on this topic, and he told me to, and I quote, eat my waxed asshole. So if you learn nothing else from my time up here, now you know Noam Chomsky has a waxed a-hole. <clears throat> equality of opportunity versus equality of outcomes. Opportunity has a positive ring to it. Opportunity, you have opportunities for things all the time. The other day, I had an opportunity to pet a dog and I did it, and it was great. It was an awesome opportunity that I had. <laughs> Outcomes. You know, it's, it's like where we all end up in shit. So like after I petted the dog, my hand smelled like dog. That was the outcome of that opportunity. You follow, you follow what I'm saying? <clears throat> now it doesn't sound terribly intimidating at a glance. But when you start to dig in, you'll find, or at least I found, a labyrinth of philosophical quandaries that requires us to simply deconstruct human nature, define and redefine the term fairness, figure out what the hell equality is, if I can go Bill Clinton on you, skim through a bunch of Reddit threads, contemplate becoming a heroin addict because all of this is just too difficult. Uh, realize that I don't have any idea of actually how someone would actually come across heroin. Uh, give that up. 
drink whiskey instead, uh, because I was going to do that anyway. Uh, then I just gave up, and I typed into Google equality of opportunity versus outcomes. Who is right? I was disappointed by the results. <clears throat> then I drank scotch because, you know, it's like whiskey times two. Uh, and then I played with my cat. And in the end, I realized this would be much easier if everyone was given a neural implant that allowed our brains to process at supercomputer levels and robots did all of the work and we became functionally immortal through technological bio-enhancements. And oh my God, this is a plot to a bad Johnny Depp movie. Six minutes left. Fuck me, let's go. Okay. Equality of opportunity does not handle context well. Let's start with a hypothetical. Say you have a family with two children of the same gender who both go to the same prep schools, enter the same elite university, achieve the same degree, and work in the same field with the same wages. It's safe to say they had equal opportunity, correct? But sibling A is a real baller investor who got in early on Apple and YouTube and it really paid off. They rolling deep, y'all, got a Tesla and a yacht. By the time they retire, they're spoiling their grandkids and own an estate in Martha's Vineyard. Now sibling B took some financial risks and put all of their money into the Microsoft Zune and Friendster or some, <laughs> some equivalent. They lost their shirt, they're driving a Kia Optima and saving plastic silverware and ketchup packets for some goddamn reason. No retirement funds because they kept doubling down on bad investments and the condo needs new plumbing and the central air doesn't, you get it. Uh, so we complete the story. Sibling A was wiser and used their freedom of choice to solidify themselves financially and are subs subsequently able to afford uh, a higher quality of material uh, substances. Sibling B was a tool and chose poorly, so now they get to eat at Denny's and drink tap water like a fucking peasant. <laughs> Equal opportunity, but very different outcomes. And generally, philosophically, this is where pro-equality of opportunity proponents live. Give everyone a fighting chance and allow them to make choices, for that is their right, and indeed, what true freedom is. And they're concerned with the starting line uh, being equal, but not where you finish. Unfortunately, this turns out to be problematic. Let's return to the previous scenario, but add in a few more elements. Sibling A was born first and, and was always their parents' favorite. They were the most attractive and charming child in their class. They were catered to and told they would succeed from the jump. Their schoolwork was double-checked by their father every night and consistently told what their life should amount to. Sibling B is cared for, certainly. They eat well and are held in high standards, but they don't receive one-on-one -on -one attention from their father. They're shorter squatter and generally less attractive than sibling A. They're less self-assured and independent than sibling A. They don't excel socially due to being slightly on the autism spectrum. Now, the story plays out the same, but we've added more context. The question is, do you feel the same level of responsibility for those siblings with the context that you did without? 
Now, of course, this is a hypothetical situation, so we could play out different contexts all day long and change the story in a multitude of various ways, but my argument is that equality of opportunity only sounds nice when you aren't able to add every ounce of context that is available to measure. Context is everything in this argument. I think equal opportunity sounds good, while equal outcomes, it just doesn't have the same ring to it, you know? Like, if you don't work hard, you get the same as the guy that worked hard. I get that. But people get very uncomfortable when you, when you start touting the idea that, that outcomes should be equal. Some of today's most prominent thinkers are really having a go at equality of outcomes. The most uh, typical argument against it is, is that it's a, a Marxist, communist viewpoint that will demolish the incentive for people to achieve higher goals and encourage those who don't want to work hard do even less. It will, collapse, it will collapse world economies and burn society to the ground. They go that far. I'm not joking. Jordan Peterson, who recently became quite a lightning rod, just absolutely hates the idea of equality of outcomes. Now, I personally find Jordan Peterson to be a bit of a twat, but you know, I'm, not, I'm not trying to hurl epithets or anything, but I, I, again, I think what tends to get overlooked in this argument is context. Of course, certain careers, certain, and this is where I'm going to join Rick, <clears throat> certain careers and certain skills or attributes, uh, there are certain careers and attributes that only a portion of the populace has access to. I'm not seven feet uh, tall and naturally athletic, and naturally athletically gifted, so I'll never be a center in the NBA. I also don't have a 10-inch dong, and while I've never tried, I don't know if I could keep a boner going in front of a camera, so I'm not gonna be a porn star. I've managed to accept that these opportunities don't exist for me. They're reasonable opportunities. They are reasonable. They aren't reasonable opportunities to expect. I wish they were reasonable. I wish I could just grow to seven feet and be a center right now. So when opportunity doesn't exist, the the possibility for any outcome associated with the opportunity goes out the window as well. Now, this is where I stop writing. I just said. Honestly, there's so much to unpack here, and I don't know where else to go. And I really don't, because when it comes down to it, I started thinking about, I started thinking about what it means to have equal outcomes, what it means to have equal opportunities. And then I thought about the game Monopoly. I thought, at the beginning of the game Monopoly, everybody is, is equal. You, you, you all start out with a bank, you all start out with the equal amount of money, you start at the go line, and you have to progress around the board, and the object of the game is to accumulate the most wealth and knock the other people out of the game by bankrupting them. And then I thought about every time I play Monopoly with my cousin David, and he would knock me out of the game by getting Park Place and getting Boardwalk and just owning all the property and building it up and, and blowing me out of the water and I would flip the table over because I was so frustrated with how things were going that I wouldn't allow the game to continue. And I feel like right now where we're at, if you look at where, where I mean, if you look at where people 
view equality of opportunity versus equality of outcomes, everybody wants life to be fair. Everybody wants things. If you, if you work hard, you should earn something. But I think the hurt that is done by trying to just say people, people should, should have an equal starting point but not worrying about where they end up causes the board to be flipped over. I think morally, as a society, outcomes are important. And in fact, in arguments across the board, everything that I read and watched and listened to, they never entered into the argument about equality of opportunity without at some point mentioning outcomes. Because in the end, Outcomes are what matter. It's not about the journey. It's about the destination when it comes to people's lives. You, you, you have to take into account where people end up and not just where they start from because if you, because if you don't, then we end up with, with extreme poverty and, and people dying earlier than they should. It, it's very important that we think about where people end up. And Although I don't have a, a true ending to this, I hope that you do too. Yeah. All right. Rick Walker, AJ Miller. Somebody asked me not too long ago, how do we decide the order of the debates? And really it's just, to be honest with you, it's just what I want to see, first and second and third. That's just how it is, it's just sort of random. And uh, I knew I gave these gentlemen a very difficult task. In fact, it's one of the first times that I've had uh, debaters email me back and go, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, and I like that. That's, that's the point. So, we've heard both arguments, and everybody in this room has an opinion, but the only opinion that matters. <laughs> Terry, who won this debate? You want a commentary or just a name? It's in, you're the oligarchy. You have free reign. Okay, here it comes. She's making it. All right. Now, this could get me in trouble. I have to start it. It's on a podcast. However, I must say that your dearth of humor is exceeded only by your lack of logic. Both of you. going to rule on the Halloween debate or whatever it is, but you, you know, I couldn't believe this was first. You walked right into my bailiwick, free enterprise, capitalism, free markets, and so forth. And I really thought that it was, Rick, when you started off quoting Milton Friedman, I went, now there's a guy who knows something. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> And it all went downhill from there. <laughs> It was either Milton Friedman or one of his cohorts who taught me at a very young age, yes, capitalism is the unequal distribution of wealth, but socialism is the equal distribution of poverty. Oh. Now, gentlemen, I don't see anybody <laughs> running around the world over the last 30 or 40 years to get into the old Soviet Union or into Cuba or today, where socialism has taken over in just the last five years, into Venezuela, one of the wealthiest countries on the planet in terms of oil reserves, 
where people are fleeing by the millions the new socialist government. So if you just look around the world, you will see the answer to your question is that when given a choice between equality of opportunity and equality of results dictated by a government, intelligent people do choose to bet on themselves and have equality of opportunity. However, you didn't ask me up here to make a speech or a polemic. You asked me to judge the presentations. And recognizing, as always in the world, the, the heartfelt appeal of equality of results, the argument that, gee, some people lose, and we should all be thinking of them, I'm going to have to give the debate win not to the pornographer, <laughs> but to the bleeding heart, AJ. All right. Wow. This Literate Ape is not just a digital magazine. We are a press. We are Literate Ape Press. We are registered with the Library of Congress because we're fucking badass. And on November 12th, Monday, in this room, we are gonna have an event called Books and Booze. We have six writers, all writers for Literate Ape who have books that they have written and published. And what we're gonna have is, for 20 bucks, you're gonna get to come in here, you're gonna get a, get a flight. For each book that will be read, a little portion, a little excerpt of each book, there will be an alcoholic beverage assigned to that book. The author will come up on stage and give you a little history about the alcoholic beverage, and then while you're drinking it, someone else will read the excerpt from that person's book. Six authors, six drinks. It's gonna be a lot of fun. So, November 12th, mark it on your calendar. It's October. There were storefronts on September 30th that were completely fucking empty. And first thing this morning, amazingly, they were fucking Halloween outlet stores. Like overnight, shit for Halloween. Halloween is one of those holidays. Now the question is, Halloween, at least when I was growing up, at least as I remember it, was about my mother forcing me to dress up as shit that I didn't want to be and make me walk around the neighborhood and beg for candy. Now the candy was good. If you watch Jimmy Kimmel, you get to see children whose candy has been stolen or eaten by their parents freak out. It's a big deal. Candy's a big fucking deal. So of course Halloween is for kids, right? Except Except that it's just like every other holiday in Chicago, which becomes an opportunity to get drunk and, and get fuck. laid. Yeah. Yeah, and fuck around. And where, did you see, I don't know if anybody saw this, but the, uh, the, the, the Hands Made Tale uh, sexy outfit. This was a costume. It was a sexy handsmaid's tale costume, which I thought, on one hand, it is in fact sexy, and on the other hand, it is way inappropriate, and I, I don't even know how to handle it. So, 
The question at hand tonight, Halloween. Is it a holiday for children? Or it is, after all, a holiday for adults. Ladies and gentlemen, our debaters, Dave Belden, Sonal Agawar. Give her a hand, come on. For some reason lately, I've been flashing back to the early 80s, and uh, yeah, I suddenly remembered uh, members-only jackets. These windbreakers, basically, but they had a label right here that said members-only. Now, everybody in my junior high had to have one, and I was desperate for one and pleaded for months, but my parents either couldn't afford a real one or they perhaps saw the dangers of clothing that unabashedly excluded people. So I eventually got a knockoff, probably from Sears or JCPenney, and it had a label that read, Man's Club. Yeah. Not, not men's club, man's club. There was only room for one idiot. Well, there was this kid on the bus uh, who was just a dick, and he made fun of my man's club jacket and made fun of me for thinking that I could use it to pass as a member of the exclusive members-only club. He got some of the other kids laughing at me, and then one day, he decided he was really going to need to beat me up over this. He was a bully, I, I knew that then. And I think... The only reason he didn't actually ultimately beat me up is that I was what my, call, my dad called a husky kid. I was bigger than him, but I was still terrified. And I still am. Children scare me. <laughs> I'm an adult now, and uh, I hide it fairly well, I think, but I still avoid them, especially on buses. Um, I don't hate kids, there's a difference, but I don't know how to talk to them, and uh, I don't trust them. I don't have kids, in case that wasn't obvious. Um, so for me, Halloween is terrifying because hordes of children descend on our neighborhood. They don't realize how frightened I am. They're, they're just staring at the bowl of candy and couldn't care less about the dork trying to compliment their costumes. Nice muscles, Captain America! Wow, awesome broomstick, Hermione! Hey, hey, it's the 17th Ninja Turtle this evening! But this isn't about me. It's about the fact that we don't even know why we're dressing up as Ninja Turtles. We think it's all for fun. We're completely ignorant of the origins. You know, it's a little disrespectful of most holidays, really, that, that we don't investigate their history. My friends, we adults must take back this holiday from the sugar-induced kitty coma hell into which it's descended. Now, the typical American Halloween celebration grew primarily out of Gaelic, Irish, Scottish prehistory. It started as harvest festivals where your people would either celebrate a good year or lament a crappy one. And this was life or death. Your community had to make it through the long winter because if you'd had a bad harvest, you might be eating your neighbors. <laughs> Further, because these festivals fell at the midpoint between summer and winter, it was believed that the boundary between this world and the other world became more porous. This allowed the fairies and spirits to more easily enter our world where they might cause mischief with our crops or the rainfall. So in order to ensure bountiful future harvests, we gave these spirits offerings of food and drink. It was sort of like a fairy protection racket. And 
Something else our ancestors, ancestors discovered is that you can protect against fairies and spirits by dressing like them. This is called guising, as in disguise. <coughs> Apparently spirits don't see too well, so if you're dressed up like one, the fairies think they're either looking in a mirror or that you're just a fellow spirit and they leave you alone. Plus, you look hot, you really do. <laughs> anyway, eventually the church got involved. They weren't crazy about pagan rituals like guising, but they were smart enough to appropriate them as a way to get people to honor the Christian saints and martyrs, the so-called hallows. I'll let you put that together. The Victorians, of course, further eroded things by turning Halloween into a kiddie fest, just like they did with Christmas. But I think E.T. is where things really got out of hand. I was 12 years old when E.T. came out, and like everybody else, I got swept up by those goddamn Reese's Pieces. That's the moment where we almost lost Halloween for good. Just like the church had done a thousand years earlier, a few calculating executives engineered this huge corporate takeover of the holiday and performed it so innocuously that it barely registered. But overnight, Halloween became solely about kids consuming the right brand of sugar. I remember this one kid saying to me, you have to get Reese's Pieces because of E.T. <laughs> Yet another victim of product placement. More importantly, we lost a community ritual that connected us to the seasons, to our ancestors, and to our own spiritual life. You see it in the teenagers who show up at your door expecting the candy, yet they haven't even bothered to think about donning a guise. Of course, I give them the candy anyway because I'm terrified of them. <laughs> you know, I wonder if the sole refuge of adult dress-up these days is found in cosplay. It can't be a coincidence that the term was coined in 1984, just two years after the travesty of E.T. And amazingly, the first costume con, a convention dedicated to costuming, was held in January of 1983. That's only six or seven months after E.T. My fellow adults, Cosplay is our ticket to restoring Halloween. And these are the sexiest costumes, the, one, the ones that people make themselves. When you see a guy who's stitched up his own con outfit from Star Trek II, or a woman all guised up as Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you're seeing a real part of that person that they normally keep hidden. How intimate is that? You're seeing them as they see themselves, with all the strength and weakness that affords. Hell, I know a woman who likes to dress up as a prostitute at Halloween because of the power she feels. So adults, take my 30-day challenge. What inner spirit do you want to celebrate? What demon do you want to exorcise? I only encourage you to go deep and to do it with a sense of humor because I've heard that's supposed to be sexy. And forget gender normative. Guys, dress up like Beyonce. Ladies, Release your inner Brett Kavanaugh on the world. What better way to tell the misogynistic establishment to fuck off? As for me, I've got 30 days to locate a vintage man's club jacket so I can proudly wear it this Halloween. Yes! Hello, good evening. Hello. Ah, ah. 
<laughs> My ancestors are cackling away, y'all. We are out here. Yo. He fucked up Halloween. He's scared of kids. Oh, what? You would make a really good Doug from House of Cards, though, right? Now, where do, I mean, there are so many dimensions of this, of this uh, structured debate. Do, do, do I want to consider the um, business aspect of getting kids started young? You know, we live in a capitalist society, get out there, hustle, hustle, hustle. Get that map, who has the big candy bars? You know what I'm saying? We gotta get the negotiation skills started young. Basic navigation? <laughs> Remember when we had maps? And it was like, this is how north goes, and there's the sun rising. No, these kids don't know how to do shit. Everybody's on the tablet, phablet, phones, on the paper. You guys remember this? Um, I recently found out that I live with a hoarder. These are flyers from 2014 I found in the kitchen. For our radio listeners, if you haven't used it in a year, throw that shit away. Um, kids dressed up as anything is one of the only reasons to have them. I am a proud godmother and auntie. Uh, I'm killing it on the Christmas present and birthday. I've gotten a little lion for Lily Ness. Oh my God, that was so cute. Carrot, uh, cast of Star Wars. We've done that. Pumpkin, any of that. Adults, could, if you could handle the responsibility of Halloween, we could create magic. But the glory of Halloween has been reduced to a reason to dress like a slut and order shit off of Amazon. And um, ladies, we're empowered now, remember? We can dress like sluts whenever we want. <laughs> something dope. Like, maybe this year, I'd like, to, I'd like to get a girl gang together and be the Spice Girls, and I could be either cumin or turmeric. We're just, we're just gonna connect with our ancestors here for a second. We have two parents, four grandparents, eight grand, great-grandparents, 16 great-great-grandparents, 32 great-great-great, 64, blah, 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 you go in 11 generations, we're talking 4,094 ancestors, and that's only about 300 years back. All of that is in the wisdom of Halloween. And it's our responsibility to show these kids the movie Coco. <laughs> Every year, and that's how we're gonna find out who the sociopaths are, right? Easy filtering process. If you're not crying two minutes in to Coco, you know, it's like, ooh, this is one of, this kid needs a little extra disciplinary action. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like that, it's just, it's important. Halloween, this is a time of harvest. We gotta remind people that food grows out of the ground. It's 
doesn't just come from the store, right? Harvest time, this is important shit. You take those little kids out in their little pumpkin outfits and you harvest the pumpkin. That's like a thousand likes on your Instagram feed, right? When you get that photo up. We're living in a like society, a follower society. We gotta be, besides the opportunity to dress up as cute shit, kids need the opportunity to experience fear. <laughs> This guy. Because <laughs> he scared of kids! <laughs> I love you, dude, but the, the, come on, the kids need Halloween because really you've got to we've got to learn about that amplified sensation, learn about consent for an early age, live the possibility of actually getting kidnapped. <laughs> These kids are little pussy ass bitches, I'm telling you. It's like they're outside? Oh my days, have you seen some of these kids? We got some fat ass kids, y'all. We need to get these little kids, we need to get them outside walking around for at least one day a year. Nobody knows their neighbors. Right, I mean this is, right? Nobody knows their neighbors. I think that was the one time a year where it was like, we're gonna go outside and go knock on people's doors and be like, hey, we just live over the street. We're neighbors kind of, see you next year. <laughs> because we will never see each other again unless I like need to sell you some cookies or a magazine subscription, right? That's the only, what? Oh, the capitalism is really intense. The arts and crafts, um, knife wielding, pumpkin carving is a very important skill, right? Using your, you guess, are you serious? You need, you need to get yourself a knife and take whatever feelings out into your pumpkin carving, journal about it, express yourself through the pumpkin, and then you put the candle, that's like transmutation. There's all sorts of magic going on. And let me tell you right now, um, the, we witches, we're not getting burned at the stake anymore. I mean, oh God, we do have this Kavanaugh dude to deal with, but that, that's gonna take witchcraft. It's gonna take witchcraft. It's gonna take some serious spells. I like how I just keep going through my notes. As we gotta get more comfortable. We have to get more comfortable being uncomfortable. That is where the mastery lies. How do you walk on fire? You become the fire. <laughs> Kids need to know about Halloween done. You need to get out there. You remember going into haunted houses back in the day? where you had to sign a consent form. <laughs> and they were allowed to like touch your hair and kind of poke you and shit. You guys remember those haunted houses? Yeah. We're in the Midwest, shit gets crazy <laughs> out here. I don't think it's like that anymore. I think it's now like people are suing each other. Yeah, I see a nodding going on. Yeah, that's, no, that's, no. We gotta, we gotta take it back to the roots. We need to get our kids, we need to get those consent forms, push them into a haunted house. Let some scary ass clowns, you know, fuck with them for a second. <laughs> That's how you appreciate your parents. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm not encouraging near death experiences, but maybe just like the possibility of it. You know, we got some little bitch ass kids. You guys, we need to toughen up our kids. I love seeing kids dressed up and stuff. We have the opportunity to create magic. We need magic. We need to be able to enter into other realms. And um, I think it's pretty clear. I think I think clear. I have no closing statements. I feel pretty solid with all my points. 
Um, you can all go watch Coco later, and it's been fun. I really appreciate the opportunity to win this debate. Thank you so much. Get Dave arguing that Halloween is for adults. Sonal arguing that Halloween is for what? For children in a scary way. So, Terry, everybody else has an opinion. Everybody listened. Everybody knows who they think should win. But it's only Terry's choice because we live in an oligarchy. I love the power. I love the power. So, yes. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. This isn't the economic uh, wheelhouse, sure. Dave, that was a beautifully done presentation. And I wish you all the luck in the world for your man finding your man's clothes. Maybe this would be the time to get even with your parents and just go find a members only jacket because they're a bunch of thrift shops. <laughs> And Sona, I was prepared to give you this award, but Sona, you really took it to a new level. I, I, I would like to send you my two granddaughters, <laughs> expose them to the real Halloween, and, and you win. All right, Sona! Sona wins the debate! Alpha males are kind of on the shit list right now. The concept of alpha seems a bit toxic. One could argue that Kavanaugh yeah. in high school and college was an alpha male. So alpha males are kinda on the shit list. Beta males are batter up. Now the question at hand tonight, Terry, because I don't give a shit about anybody but you. But the question tonight is, are beta males wimps? Or are beta males the future man? Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, David Himmel, Merritt Landstein, give him a hand! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to start with a joke, if that's okay. How many beta males does it take to screw in a light bulb? I don't know, how many? None. They'd rather sit in the corner and cry about how dark it is. Because beta males are weaklings. They are weak. These are the guys who don't take action. The guys who call AAA when they need to change a tire. The guys who call a plumber to clean out the trap under the kitchen sink, replace the garbage disposal, or stop a toilet from running. These are the guys who can't tie a boater's knot or drive a stick shift. I can do both. Fuck you, Don Hall. I can control my rage. Beta males are the ones who parrot hashtag me too and I believe her, I'm listening. Because that's about the best action they can take. That's the best that they can do, and nothing more because they're too weak to authorize or create any real change. These are the guys who mope. Because confrontation is too, <laughs> confrontational. 
<laughs> Beta males are the editors of Esquire magazine. <laughs> Esquire magazine, which has become a forum for apologizing for the crimes of not only the men who have propagated and basked in the personal benefits of the patriarchy, but for all men, even the innocent ones who never had members-only jackets, <laughs> the allies, the allies of women and people of color. Beta males are not the rapists or the guys who shoot up schools and movie theaters. Some think that they are, that, no, oh, they're just too afraid and they can't get what they want, so they mean shooting it. No, no, those guys, those guys that do that kind of shit are alpha males. They're alpha males no one likes. Those guys are the incels. Beta males can get laid, I've seen it. I've seen plenty of beta males with girlfriends having all sorts of consensual sex with those girlfriends, and when they're not having sex with those girlfriends, they're sitting quietly in the back, blending in with the wallpaper because stepping out puts them at risk of failing and being laughed at, but also puts them at risk of succeeding. Michael Sarah, the actor, <laughs> Michael Sarah plays beta males for comedic purposes. We're meant to laugh at them. We're meant to laugh at beta males. And even when Scott Pilgrim saves the day, it's only after an hour and a half of us doubting him and laughing at his bumbling attempts, he barely makes it out alive. Michael Sarah's beta male characters are modern day Alvy Singers, Woody Allen's most Woody Allen character from Annie Hall. Do you want Woody Allen as the future? Okay. Beta males marched in the Women's March. They held signs and chanted. But what then? They don't ask questions about what women want and need. They just go along with whatever women say because that will keep them from seeming even remotely like the bad alphas who ruin it for everyone. They don't take chances. Beta males are not leaders because beta males are wimps. Now the good alpha males, they can be sensitive. Kurt Cobain, compared to Brett Michaels. And let's pause for a second and wonder why the name Brett Michaels and Brett Kavanaugh, what the fuck is with Bretts? I'm not saying all Bretts, I'm just saying, like, and Brett Favre? Come on, Brett. Brett Favre and there's something about Mary. I'm, I'm attacking the judge now. I'm sorry. Let's just, for all fairness. And there's something about Mary, the character of Brett Favre where he played himself. Wait, no, that's not a good argument because it wasn't actually him that didn't like her retarded brother. And I didn't say retarded. I said handicapped. Redacted. Redact that last sentence. Where was I? You're right, Brett Favre is, is, a, is a good alpha male. You're right. Just like Kurt Cobain. So Brett Michaels, if you're not, if you're not sure who he is, uh, he was the lead singer, or is the lead singer? I don't know. Is? They're active still? That's weird. So Brett Michaels, the lead singer of the hair metal band Poison. Uh, he might be seen, Kurt Cobain might be seen as, as Michael's alpha, or I'm sorry, might be seen beta to Michael's alpha, being that hair metal was all about drinking as much booze, destroying as many hotel rooms, and fucking as many women as possible. And I'm curious if, if Brett Kavanaugh like really rocked out to Poison. Just throwing it out there, like if hair metal was his jam. 
<laughs> he probably did, right? Yeah. 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 He was all about cherry pie, which was not poison, but yeah. Um, so make no mistake, our sensitive Kurt Cobain, with his journal entries and songs of pain and self-doubt, was 100% alpha male. The song Rape Me was satirical, I think, right? It was, it was, I asked him. <laughs> so, he was so he was so much 100% alpha male that with one album, he put a hard stop to the shenanigans of Poison, Motley Crue, and the rest of the hair metal band uh, that took great pride in reducing women to objects and basking in the excess that bad alpha male Ronald Reagan lorded over in the 1980s. What the future needs are good alpha males, and they're out there. Cobain was one of them. And wouldn't it be nice if we still had him here? Who among us felt cheated when he offed himself? <laughs> There is no way in the world a beta male would ever stick a shotgun in his mouth and pull the trigger. That's some ballsy shit right there. And if you think, even if you think that Courtney Love killed him, well, there's no way a beta male could ever date Courtney Love <laughs> or marry and father a child with her because she is an al as alpha female as they come. If Cobain was a beta male, she'd have killed him before In Utero was, like the first song In Utero was even recorded. And where would we be then? The future would be as lopsided and terrible as it is now, and it will be as lopsided and terrible as it is now, if beta males are given any kind of authority because they can't handle it. They don't know what to do with it. It terrifies them. But alpha males, good alpha males, alpha males like the 44th President of the United States of America, Barack Obama. Go ahead. What, you, you can't applaud an African-American man? Jesus. All right, now there is a man, Barack Obama, there is a man who was thoughtful, he was kind, he was empathetic, sympathetic, romantic, I'm assuming. I mean, him and Michelle, right? Like, come on, right? Yeah. yeah. But he was a man of action. The first black person to be elected president, I can only assume that that couldn't have been easy. And when he was cornered by bad alpha males like Donald Trump and the GOP Congress, he took the mother they flung at him and he threw it right back at them, leaving them unable to throw anything back. Obama was respected throughout the world because of his confidence and demeanor. <coughs> Women wanted him. Men wanted to be him. Who among us wouldn't want to be filled with the seed of Barack Obama? <laughs> that, that's alpha, y'all. Like that's animal kingdom alpha. And that's where the term come from, comes from, you know. Like, like which lioness wants to get it from... So as we plan for the new future, we must do so with the understanding that a future that is beta male would leave us with men of inaction in place and we would all quickly come to regret that just as we have regretted the extreme, negative the extreme negatives instituted by the patriarchy. Because it wouldn't end. We need good, strong, mighty men just the same as we need good, strong, mighty women. 
The future we seek is a future that is balanced with men and women and people of color and anyone of all cuts from all cloths who can actually deliver righteous change that benefits all people. By putting our focus in promoting good alpha males to positions of change, they can help the good alpha females and good alpha trans people, etc., to oust and destroy the bad toxicity which the Bretts and the Brocks spew everywhere. Alpha males, like Barack Obama, can stop that. Beta males, like George Michael Bluth, will not. Thank you. Yes! One of the brilliances of the, the art of the dialectic is to have someone argue so vehemently against his own interests. Should we point that out? I'm a Republican, apparently. <laughs> All right. As the counter to that argument, ladies and gentlemen, Merritt Landsteiner. Give her a hand. Yeah. yeah. Hello, I'm Merritt Landsteiner. Uh, when I found out I was, say, uh, I was debating tonight that beta men are the future, which they are, I immediately came up to David and I said, you are going down tonight. And like the good beta he is, he said, okay, um, so you're going down. First, I would like to let you all know a little background on me. I grew up on a farm in Minnesota. I do stand-up comedy in my free time. I don't try as hard at it as it, at it as I should because like an alpha female, I don't really give a fuck what you think. I am an alpha female. Let me prove to you why. How I talk. How I dress. I will now display for the podcast listeners my calves. I do not work out consistently. Only alpha females are born with these. Thank you. As an alpha female, I am also confident. I wore baggy crotched pants to not distract you. I wore baggy, baggy jeans. To not distract. I have an amazing ass. I don't need to show it off. I also have amazing tits, the jean jacket, not to distract. Very confident. Whoa, this morning on the train, a man called me a bitch because I asked for more room on the train. Took everything in my power not to murder him. As a good alpha, I was restrained because females know when to be. Which brings me to my point. Why beta men are the future? Because they will lift up alpha women who are the real future. No man is the future. That's the point, okay? Thank you. And you want to know why alpha women are the future and not beta women? Because beta women are Trump supporters. Good. Okay, moving on. Why beta men are the future? They're faithful, dependable, responsible, and supportive. Beta men, uh, female, we don't really need alphas anymore. Here's the thing, we have penicillin now. We can hunt and gather on our own. We can vote. Hey, guess what? In Saudi Arabia, they can drive now, bitches. All right. Alpha men are bad. Barack Obama, great alpha male, also led to Trump. Fail! Barack, 
Obama failed us. Yeah, I'm here to say it. He failed. Thanks, Obama. Yeah, thanks a lot, Obama. Uh, and yeah, we would all want to fuck him. And that's a point I will come to later. Just wait for it. Okay. <laughs> Alphas are not the future. Alpha men lead to war, and they're bad for the workplace. <laughs> uh, men can now be sensitive. It's called being metrosexual. You guys don't have to worry about being gay. We'll still fuck you. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Bullying, not accepted anymore. Unless you're a woman, then it's still funny and accepted. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Okay, here's the thing with beta males. There's two different types of beta males. Beta males that are attractive that we still want to fuck that quote-unquote get it. Then there's also beta males that are like weak bitches. Sometimes they're incels that are in this red pill theory. Some of you are older in the audience. I'm guessing you don't go on Reddit. I don't either, but my friends do. They tell me about it. Yes, I'm friends with beta bitches. I do stand-up comedy. That's most stand-up comedy men are betas. Okay. Incels and red pill theory men think that they basically believe in, they're men's rights activists. That's what they are. Now, these betas, and you're like, Merit, but how can they be the future? They will be our soldiers. Okay, let me, we're taking a turn now. The future is female, stay with me. And females are gonna take over society. And you guys are like, but feminism's all about equality. Well, guess what? We've been fighting with feminism since the 60s. It's not working. That's done. Now females are in charge. Get used to it. It's done. Accept it. Move on. I will explain further on why you should agree with this. Sir, you look undecided. Just stick with me, okay? Jesus Christ, I gotta keep, I'm way behind my argument. Okay, um, we don't care about bullying. Uh, betas get me too less, I guess. It doesn't really matter. That's all gonna be in the past once women take over. And the problem with women not taking over yet is because of this thing called white feminism. And that's why as um, a white woman, I am nominating black women to be in charge of our new society. That's right, white women, too bad you're not in charge. Black women are, and uh, if you're a woman of color that's not black, uh, get over it. Okay, uh, black women are in charge because they're the funniest and the scariest at the same time, okay? And deep down, every white person in here wishes they were black for the coolness factor but doesn't want to be oppressed. That's why we're putting black women at the top. Other women of color, Sonal, Asians, Hispanics. Sonal. Yeah, if you don't know it. I don't have time to explain everything. They get to pick whatever category they want to be. You can be in training, logistics, whatever the fuck you want. Asians, I encourage you to go into logistics. But again, whatever you want based off personality. Uh, white women, you will mostly be in training. Uh, white women who are Trump supporters, you will be, let's say, also soldiers? Yeah, not only beta men, they're soldiers. You are soldiers. If you conform and you come to our side, you can be in training, but you will go extensive um, Kool-Aid. Okay, um, you guys are like, what about Omega men and Delta men? Omega men are basically guys who can't grow up, soldiers. Delta men, you will be fucked, you will be rewarded. Delta men are beta males who get it. Delta men uh, are what he wants to be. Okay. Um, I gotta keep going, I'm running out of time. Okay, um, god damn it. Okay, um, 
The reason beta males are the future and not alphas, betas can be trained. Betas listen. He, he Listen to him. If you're listening to the podcast, everything he said, trainable, like a dog. Okay, uh, alpha men, if you pop, if you pull a Colin and you bend the knee to us, we will reward you, you will be with us. And we will keep fucking you because we can't just fuck betas because not everyone can have a peanut allergy. Okay. Um, They don't feel threatened. Their quiet confidence in their so, which is so much sexier than arrogance, am I right? Uh, emotionally available, they're nice to you, they respect you, they make you incredible fathers, they don't need control, and alphas, we will still fuck you because we don't want peanut allergies. I'm Marilyn Center. Betas of the future, thank you. Welcome to Bug House. That's how it's done. All right. That's how it's done. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. All right. So we have heard an argument. I do love the fact that Sonal is her own ethnicity. She's, I mean, there's black, there's whites, there's Asian, then there's Sonal. I mean, it's just like... There's something exciting about that, and I think you should use that in like a business card or something. I don't know. All right, Terry, you've heard anti beta male and pro beta male. I, I don't even know. I'm. Oh my God. It's all yours. Who won that debate? Speaking as a feminist of the 60s who read Jermaine Greer and Betty Friedan to get started, we were waiting for you, Mary. So Merritt wins. Merritt! Landsider wins! So you guys could have done anything you wanted on a Monday night, and you came to watch debate. What's wrong with you? Do you read too much, like, Salon? What's your problem? But you, you came out for a debate. I want to thank Terry Savage as our judge. Give her a hand. All six of our performers... And Kayla, our bartender, give her a huge hand. And you know what? Amazingly, your applause doesn't pay any of her bills, so perhaps you should tip her. A thing to think about. Thank you so much for coming out. We really appreciate it, and we hope you come back next month. Thank you.